Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. We know the ways that can be done. That can be done with the draft lottery. That can be done with trades. It can be done in free agency. We are daily cranking out scenarios. to the Lakers legacy where who cares about the NBA playoffs when you can tankathon spin your brain into oblivion and Rubik's cube the hell out of your future all day long as a Lakers fan. Because otherwise, what the hell are we going to do besides thinking about how huge Danny Green's D is, as Pau Gasol would say? Ain't that right, Alan? Pau Gasol was spot on when he said that. Well, the only thing bigger than that is the news of Tommy Alexander's return to Lakers Legacy's airwaves. Tommy, of course, has returned from the land of the samurai and the cherry blossom to once again grace us with his audio presence. Tommy, what's up, dude? And welcome back. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, Lakers won a bunch of games, which I'm sure you guys talked about to end the season, and and I missed all of them, but I'm back now. If it wasn't clear, Tommy came back from Japan. He was there for about two weeks or so with his girlfriend. And before we start, why don't you give us your highlight, any highlights you have? Uh, so Japan is just really an awesome country in general. I had a great time there, but I think the one thing I did that was the most memorable was they have this thing there called the robot restaurant. And what the robot restaurant is, is like you pay like 50 or 60 bucks or something. And you go to this like hour and a half, what they call like a robot show. And it basically, it was what my girlfriend, I think, described as like an American Pratt Boys impression of Japan. So it's like super over the top. And it's like people banging drums and wearing ridiculous masks. And like, there's a plot line that 
is doesn't really make sense and is that includes broken english and it's i i was very entertained by it but it's uh it, it's it's a definitely a bizarre experience is it like a like a robot musical it is like a robot musical and they call it a robot cabaret show it's <laughs> <laughs> like singing and dancing too uh what was the restaurant called or the place called the place was just called robot restaurant <laughs> <laughs> and outside of it there's all these people advertising it with giant signs that say robot restaurant and they make it super like flashing lights and it's very over the top to draw your attention. A hundred percent of the people in the room spoke English. So like, you know, you're in a very touristy place. That's awesome. By the way, outside of that, Nicole posted a video of you guys at a restaurant where they literally put your food on fire. It, it was ramen. Yeah. How was that? It was lit. <laughs> Well, there you go. Very straightforward. All right. With that said, let's get on with our show. Although at this point, I think we should start our own travel podcast. <laughs> okay. Some house cleaning stuff before we get started. We are now on Dash Radio. Go ahead and download the Dash Radio app. And Rob Palinka, where and when can you find us? You can find this amazing show on Dash Radio, Monday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Hopefully you've also been awake for five hours. At that point, just like me, we want to hear all about Rubik's Cubing the Future, as uh, Jonathan so eloquently put it. So thank you guys very much. Is that a rumbling? <laughs> what is that? I'm, I'm kind of new here, you know, if, uh, if you forgot about that. So there it is. Wow. <laughs> you can also catch us in podcast form, as usual on iTunes, Stitcher, AlmightyBaller.com, and everywhere else lit Lakers podcast can be found. Our Twitter handle is still the same for now, and you can go ahead and please follow us at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more super obscure visual metaphors and analogies Rob Palinka will give us throughout his media obligations. So far, we got The Architect, North Star, Sugar Cubes, Rubik's Cube, what's next? Who knows? But we'll mock up all those items in a Rob Palinka Beautiful Mind poster for your enjoyment too. So please rate and interview us on iTunes. So yeah, today's show, we will in fact be attempting to Rubik's Cube the future. And by that, I mean we're going to try and anticipate the different theoretical moves Rob Palinka could take this offseason as his first offseason as the Lakers GM. But before we get to that, Tommy, we've been doing this thing where each episode we pretty much do the Tankathon Lotto Wheel of Fortune. So... We are going to do that now. So far, I believe we're one and one. First time we did it, we kept it. We jumped to the number two pick. And then the second time around, we lost it. We dropped to the number four. So here we go. Is everybody ready? I'm about to sim this. Tankathon, Wheel of Fortune. Here we go. I hate this so much. Okay, here's the, here's the order. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia jumped three spots to the number one. Phoenix stayed at number two. New York jumped four spots to the number three. Boston got the number four. And unfortunately, we dropped the number five, which means Philly keeps our pick. So, so far, we are one and two. So far, not good news. Uh, but with that being said, we can save our playoff thoughts at the end if we have time. But for now, Tommy, I have reserved three minutes for you as a platform to give us your thoughts on the end of the Lakers season or whatever heck else you want to talk about or rant about regarding the Lakers. So three minutes, you're on the clock. Ready, set, go. Uh, my only thoughts were mostly, and I, I talked to you guys about this, obviously I couldn't record when I was in Japan, but I don't care that they won games. In fact, I'm happy that they won games. And I was like disgusted by all this, like people who haven't watched a game the entire season or haven't watched a game in like months 
are chiming in with their opinion about how, oh, these guys are scared about their jobs, so now all of a sudden they're trying. No, they're like a team of 19- and 20-year-olds who are like slowly getting better, and they started to trade their veterans, and Luke started to play lineups that you know, are future lineups with guys that are young and talented and are trying to compete and get better every night. So, yeah, you're going to win some games. Um, they won, like, five of their last six games or something, which I thought was good. People were freaking out over a 9% chance, to, you know, a 9% difference. And look, maybe the number two seed, uh, Phoenix Suns, end up winning the lottery this year. Maybe they end up falling to number four. We don't know. And I understand this idea of let's maximize our chance or whatever. But I, the whole thing is ridiculous to me. Yeah, I, I want to maximize my chance as much as anybody else. We're, even if we were the worst team in the NBA, our chances of staying in the top three would have only would have been 20% higher. It's not like we went from a lock to not a lock. You know what I mean? It's At the end of the day, it's going to be a coin toss, and you just have to hope that the basketball gods reward a team that won five out of the last six and like was competing and trying to win games as opposed to a team that benched literally. When I saw people comparing benching Mozgov and Dang to benching Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, Tyson Chandler, sometimes Devin Booker, including in that final game where they really didn't want to have even a chance of winning and tying the Lakers, they benched Devin Booker in that game. So it's like big deal, you know what I mean? And we did what we could. We we played out the season the way it was supposed to be played, and we ended up as the third worst team. I'm not going to complain about wins that came in, um, you know, April and the end of March. We started the season ten and ten, so nobody was complaining back then. You know what I mean? I, I get that it's quote unquote like people view it as a quote unquote lost season at this point, but there's still things to be gained at the end of seasons that'll carry into the summer and will carry into next season. And we have no idea what's going to happen with the ping pong balls, but we know that these guys got a little bit of confidence and we got a better look at who we think is going to be a part of the team and who's not going to be a part of the team. So I think that's much more important. Cool. Awesome. Agree. All right. Some quick Lakers news before we get into Rubik's cubing the future with Rob Palinka. So Carmel Anthony and the Knicks and Phil Jackson or a hot mess over there. And it's been rumored that, well, it's not been rumored. Phil Jackson said, I don't want Carmelo Anthony on this team. And Carmelo Anthony obviously came back at him on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And obviously there's some clear strife going on over there. And so the natural conclusion would be Carmelo Anthony's gone and he might get traded. So with that being said, and his trade value and Phil Jackson's trade leverage so low, would we want Carmelo Anthony on the Lakers. Alan, I'll swing it to you first. What are your thoughts? I am, I'm going to say no. I, I do not want Carmelo Anthony here. Uh, I, I don't think it's a good fit and for either party. I don't think it's good for us in terms of the development of our young players, and I definitely don't think it's a good fit for Carmelo. He absolutely would want to be on a contender, at least a team that will definitely make the playoffs, whereas there's a pretty good chance we are not going to make the playoffs next year. So, um, yeah, that's my case for Carmelo Anthony going somewhere else. Tommy, what about you? I'm erring on the side of I don't want him, but I think I'm more 50-50 than Allen. I mean, I'm not 50-50, but I'm, I'm closer to that point, I think. I, it depends on what the trade was, right? Like, if for some reason, Phil Jackson was like, oh, I want to create that 
recreate that Chicago's Bulls team that I almost traded Kobe for. Like, you know, Derek Rose, Luol Deng, and Jokum Noah all on the same team again with Chris Dabbs. If, if for some reason they're willing to take, like, Luol Deng, then yeah, I'll do it. But if it's, like, a real trade where we have to give up, like, Clarkson and... Um, not that I like love Clarkson or anything, but if we have to give up like actual assets that can get us something else, then then I then I probably wouldn't do it. It just depends on how desperate Phil gets um, as well. So I actually at, at the start when I thought, oh yeah, if we can get rid of Dang, and even if we had to attach Clarkson to it, or even the number twenty eighth pick, then maybe I do it for Carmelo Anthony because at least that guy can play as opposed to Dang, and maybe we could even well. I'm I'm assuming his no trade clause would still stick with him once he's traded to the Lakers, right? Yeah. But anyways, so I guess we couldn't trade him either way, even if he came here. But actually, now that I think about it, even if it were dang for Carmelo straight up, I actually think his presence on this team would be so toxic. And given that we just had a pretty nice stretch to end this season where we got to see just the young guys ball out and play together, that's kind of how I want the Lakers to play next season, undeterred not stifled by any random big personality, whether it's on the court or off the court. And I feel like Carmelo Anthony would just be another huge distraction that he would just take all the usage, take the ball away from the guys. He just want to get his stats. And then we'd have to cater to another kind of prima donna almost like kind of like another Kobe situation, except he's at, he can actually play. Right. So he demand the ball even more. And so I just think it would be a huge distraction. And I'm actually in the camp now that it's like, you know, you you still have him on for three years and twenty five million or so. Um, I think it's a bigger headache than it's worth, even if you're you are getting rid of Dang. So for me, it's like unless we're getting Paul George, um, I, I'd rather stay away from that situation entirely. So that's just my opinion. Anybody else have any last thing? I, I just don't know how well he would fit into a, a Luke Walton system, which you know at this point is not the most complex thing in the world, as Luke has said himself. We haven't we haven't even installed half of it at this point but you can imagine Luke really values ball movement and sharing the ball and moving without the ball all of which are things that Carmelo does not have a history of doing especially as he gets older am I saying Carmelo is incapable of buying into that sort of thing no I'm not he's not stupid he's an intelligent player but old habits do die hard especially when you've been around the league for a while and have had success so I I think you know, if I'm putting my optimistic hat on, maybe he could adapt. But if I'm being realistic and sort of siding on the pessimistic side, I, I'd be relatively doubtful. I was just going to say that because of his no trade clause, there are so many other teams that seem to make more sense for him to go to. Like I could see, for example, Miami Heat making like some sort of run for him. They're going to they have a bunch of cap space this summer and then they can throw in like I don't know, Tyler Johnson or, you know, one of their random, like, middle medium-tier prospects, that might be enough for Phil just to do, like, a salary dump. Uh, so I think they're, I think they're, I don't think the Lakers are going to be, like, serious, seriously engaged. Presumably, Carmel is going to be, like, very openly on the block the entire summer, but I can't see the Lakers, like, seriously engaging um, in those kinds of trade discussions. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to get to was Brandon Ingram's candidacy as an NBA All-Rookie first-teamer. It's pretty tight right now. Um, I think there are three guys who are locks, obviously Malcolm Brogdon, Dario Saric, and Joel Embiid. I think the fourth spot is almost like a soft lock with Buddy Heald because 
Buddy Heald, even when he wasn't in Sacramento, was still putting up points and hitting threes. But Buddy Heald, since he's been in Sacramento, has been averaging like 15 points on 40% shooting from three. And then his season averages are 10.6 points, 3.3 rebounds, 1.5 assists, shooting 40% from three in only 23 minutes per game. So I feel like he's almost like a soft lock for that fourth spot, leaving one last spot for Brandon Ingram. Jamal Murray, Marquise Chris, Willie Hernan Gomez, etc., etc. So obviously the problem with having such a sucky rookie class is that you don't have to do much to get into contention, you know? You don't even have to play that much to get into contention. As Willie Hernan Gomez has shown, I think he actually leads the rookie class in double-doubles, even though he's not played every single game and hasn't played that many minutes. And then because this class is so piss poor, like I said, you you almost have to evaluate it on like a permanent basis, you know, based off of like, oh, this guy's played 15 minutes, but in the 15 minutes he's played, he's been amazing, you know? So I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not you think Brandon Ingram can kind of slide through and get that fifth spot, given how strong he's been in the last, you know, 15 to 20 games of this season. Um, just to throw some stats out there, you know, Jamal Murray has better per minute stats, obviously better percentages, slightly better. In only 21 minutes, he's averaging 10 points, 2.6 rebounds, 2.1 assists on 41% from the field and 34% from three. Marquise Chris has better percentages and better defensive numbers as well. Nine points, four rebounds, one steal, one block on 44% from the field and 32% from three in only 21 minutes. Despite that, though, I think he's looked very lost at times on out there on the floor and very lost defensively. So if you're obviously taking the eye test into account, which you should, Brandon Ingram, I think, is heads and above Marquise Chris. And then, you know, Willie Hernan Gomez, like I said, leads the rookies in double-doubles and has played pretty well for the Knicks. So, Tommy, what do you think? Do you think Brandon Ingram should get this fifth spot in the first team? Uh, so before I answer, I should probably know this already. But, okay, so the All-NBA team, they do... They do like one center, two forwards, and two guards, right? There are actually no um, positional restrictions. For the all-NBA team or for the rookie team? Mm-hmm, for the rookies. Oh, for the rookie for the team, rookies. yeah. Okay, so that's what, that was my question. So there's no, there are no restrictions for the rookies. Okay, I think this is, I mean, it's sad that the number two pick wouldn't make the first team, but I, I honestly don't think Brandon Ingram should make it. I think he... Given how he played in the last month and a half or whatever, two months of the season, if he played even like for four months of the season, if he played like that, then yeah, he he should make it. But I think it was like, it was too little too late. It's one thing to be like, oh, okay, this guy's finally showing those flashes and like his shooting percentage is like getting way more efficient. His three point percentage was kind of going up, um, especially towards the very, very end. And his points are going up significantly, but Based on how poorly he started the season, this fool needed to would have needed to average like 20, 25 points a game or something absurd for him to have a legit shot, I think, to make the first team. I think he makes the second team, but I don't think I think that any of those three guys actually, including I would even take Marquise Chris. But I my my order would be Hernan Gomez and then um Jamal Murray and then Chris and then Ingram probably for just because those other guys sort of like Marquise Chris sort of played consistently solid ish over the course of an entire year. And I don't know, dude, he, he was Brandon Ingram was just like, you look at the numbers and we watched all the games. So we saw the potential, but like, I, th- I don't think other people are going to, are going to get, and he, he has a little bit more um, of a handicap if you want to consider it that, because he was the number two pick. So it's like with guys like Hernan Gomez, it's like, 
more shocking that he played so well because he was a second round pick, but like Brandon Ingram, it's people expect you to be so good and then you do what you did. And even if it's better than like Hernan Gomez or Marquise Chris, it's, I don't think that's going to be enough. Yeah. And I think his handicap too, is that he averaged like 28 minutes per game. So you'd expect him to do a lot better. Exactly. Alan, what about you? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I do agree with Tommy as far as this goes. Uh, the expectation level is very high for a number two pick. And when you only produce consistently for two months, you know, from the all-star break mid-February until mid-April, unfortunately, that's just not enough. Again, had he shown this starting at the new year, like January, okay, yeah, I, I think then he gets that nod. But he definitely deserves to make an all-NBA team. Hopefully it is the second one. Uh, I don't think that should be an issue whatsoever, but if he were to make the first one, I would be very surprised. And so I'm sorry, who votes on this? It's not the media, is it for rookie or is it the media? I'm pretty sure NBA media is still, yeah. it's, it's kind of like just the, the media. All NBA team. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. There's no way with like an East coast bias and everything, you know, that they're going to recognize even half of what he did. Again, we watched all the games very closely and there were a decent amount where like, Oh boy, like he, he hasn't really shown much in the last couple weeks or so, you know? Right. And I mean, he even has a game where he doesn't shoot the ball once until whatever it was, like the fourth quarter. So right. unfortunately, there were enough moments there where he was, you know, lacking confidence or, or doubting like what his role on this team is supposed to be. And uh, that would probably put him out of the first team. Yeah, for sure. And, and, to be clear, there's no question he's going to make the all-rookie second NBA team, obviously, because this rookie class is so shallow. Piss poor. Um, piss poor. <laughs> um, and, and, to be, and actually, Zach Lowe has Brandon Ingram in his all-rookie NBA second team. He has Willie Hernan Gomez as that fifth spot in the first team. I do think that if we're talking, and nobody's, obviously the media is not going to look at it this way, but if we're still looking at just the eye test and projecting out the potential that we see, I think Brandon Ingram is a clear first team all NBA or especially given the the last stretch that he had like you saw all the potential you saw everything come together but because this award is predicated on a, a year's worth of uh, a year's worth sample size obviously he was not consistent for the first three months of the season essentially so I think that's what will we'll peg him down but if you're looking at man what could this guy be just in three months from now he's going to be better than most of these guys on the all nba first team yeah, though, including healed and willie hernan gomez but unfortunately that's not what the award is about and i think we're okay with conceding it at this point and so it might even motivate him even more you know because beginning of the season he was like i wanted to win rookie of the year that obviously felt he fell super short of that but him being bumped down a second team should also motivate him so that should be totally fine all right with that said let's move on and move away from the uh, Lakers news and just go straight into rabbit hole conjecture Rubik's cubing. So <laughs> here we go. Okie dokie. Rubik's cubing the future. Anticipating Rob Palinka's moves as the Lakers GM. I think right now we can probably give him one move up his sleeve and that was David Nwaba. Tyler Nwaba. Ennis I don't think was even <laughs> part of his... I think that was a Magic Johnson. Maybe Mitch even had that coming. And Rob Palinka wasn't officially the GM yet. So right now, all we can really say is Rob Palinka said the right things. And he he signed David Nwaba to a 10-day contract and extended that to the rest of the year. And I think he has a non-guaranteed contract for next year as well. So good move by Rob Palinka thus far. 
So yeah, my first question is, what do you guys think Rob Palenka's first order of business will be this summer? Given he hasn't made a personal imprint yet as the GM, does this make him more likely or less likely to start deconstructing this roster? Will he be more anxious to make a move or be way more careful and thoughtful given that Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss left him with a little bit of a mess to clean up with regards to Dang and Mozgov? So let's go under the scenario first that we don't have our pick, which is the mentality that we should have just so we don't get our hopes up. So if we don't keep our pick, Tommy, what do you think Rob Palinka's first order of business be this summer? What's his strategy, do you think? Is, is it going to be conservative? Do you think he's going to make any moves at all? Or do you think he's going to be like, I got to make my move somehow. Let's sign a big free agent. Let's make some trades. I think he's going to be conservative, but I do. I also think he's going to make moves. I just think that to answer, I guess, the first part of your question, I don't think Rob Palenka is like, this is to me a largely a media construct, the idea of this guy who's like, oh, I just got hired and I've never been a GM before, so this is my chance to make my mark. I think that's like, if you're like a serious winner or like competitor, that's not what you're thinking. You're not thinking, I need to make my mark. You're thinking, I need to figure out how I'm going to make it, you know, win the championship. If you're Bob Myers taking over the Golden State Warriors, you don't trade, you know, as GM, you don't trade Clay Thompson for Kevin Love just to like make a mark. You know what I mean? You, if what you have is working, you kind of go with it. But so despite me thinking he's going to be conservative, I still think his number one order of business, and this is weird and I don't know, maybe this is like too outlandish, but, um, I think he's going to aggressively, aggressively try to trade Luel Dang. And I don't know how he's going to do it. But if he's able to do it, I don't. I literally do not care what we get back. I'm not saying it's going to be like a pure salary dump, but if he can find like a still overpaid veteran who like at least fits a, a need of ours, I could see him like going for something like Luel Dang and like the number twelve or sorry, the number twenty eight pick for such and such veteran who makes twelve million a year, but he's probably only worth like seven or eight. You know, something like that. I could see. Palinka doing something like that and, and clearing up a little space and also giving us somebody we actually could use because Dang's issue is not that oh, this is a separate rant, but his issue is not that he sucks. It's that we can't, we have no use for him on this team. So Alan, what about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, Rob would say something along the lines of with regards to this question, I'm going to come in every single day. And I thought you were going to do the impression. I, I know. I thought about it for a second, but I didn't want to go on for like five minutes. <laughs> I was like bracing myself for it. <laughs> um, but, you know, he would say something along the lines of, I'm going to come in every day and I'm going to do my job to the very best of my abilities. I'm going to be ridiculously prepared in, you know, every situation you could possibly imagine. And from there, if something presents itself... Um, I will be aggressive at the same time. I'm not going to do something for the sake of doing it because there is absolutely no point in that. That's a very vain, you know, kind of mindset to take on. So I, I think the word as opposed to conservative versus aggressive would be he's going to approach everything intelligently and thoughtfully um, beyond anything else. Now, can that lead to an aggressive move? Uh, if that's the case, then yeah, absolutely, I think he can be aggressive. And, you know, mentioning moving Luol Deng, that would be an extremely aggressive move to do that. To mm -hmm. actually sell that to other teams is almost insane. But 
again, based on the relationships that he has with other front offices around the league and other players, I mean, I would bet on him being able to do that. Um, I don't know if there's a great chance, but I would, I would take a chance on it for sure. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I, I would say he'll only be bold if it makes sense for this organization. It has nothing to do with him establishing his reputation or how people view him. Right. I agree. And I think it's not at this point, I don't think it's even about being, you know, trying to make your mark or being aggressive or trying to show up the last regime up as is the case anytime like a new organization comes in. And I experienced this on a personal level, actually, you know, my company DreamWorks was acquired by Universal. And anytime that happens, there's just there's just going to be a, a momentary period where, you know, you clean house kind of not necessarily like get rid of everybody, but just to reinstate order and fit the new direction of where you want to go uh, as the parent company, like moves are going to be made. So it's I don't think necessarily it's gonna like any moves that you see this summer. It's like, oh, that's Rob Palinka making his mark. No, I think that's just the necessary outcome of a new regime coming in. You know what I mean? So right. I think as opposed to previous years where we wouldn't even get any sort of trade out right of now. coming out of the summer with Mitch, I think the last trade he made was probably taking in Jeremy Lin for the... I was uh, going to say that Steve Blake trade from like 10 years ago <laughs> that we always talk about. I mean, that too. But I guess in terms of a summer trade that happens in, in, in the midst of free agency in the draft, right? The last yeah. trade he made was probably to get Jeremy Lin and the number 20, or Houston's first round pick. So that was the last time. And that was like, you know, four years ago or so. But I do think that if we don't keep our pick, the first move, like you guys said, is Rob Palinka, whether he's able to pull it off or not, is aggressively trying to, is he's going to aggressively try and shop Luau Deng. And at this point, whether it's the number 28th pick or sadly attaching Jordan Clarkson to it, I am okay with that. Because just getting that, especially if he attaches Jordan Clarkson, because that's about... 29 million of salary going out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure we'll get salary coming back. We have to, to facilitate a trade like that. But just to get 29 million off our books for the next three years or so would be huge. And then Rob Palenka can begin to actually operate with our salary books and salary cap in a more clean manner because he's able to wipe that part out. So I do think that changes are going to happen. And that's probably the first order of business. Now, what happens if we do keep the pick? So in my opinion, if we keep the pick, everything is on the table. There are so many different angles he could go about it. But yeah, I guess, Tommy, if if, if we do keep the pick, does it make it more or less likely that he get, he becomes actually aggressive? Like, what do you think? Yeah, where do you think he goes with that? So I think it becomes more definitely more likely, generally, if he keeps the pick to, uh, for him to become more aggressive, I should say. But it's interesting also, like, because you can even break that off, you know, in the chain of events and be like, okay, well, if we keep number one versus if we just keep a top three generally, you know, um, because I think if like, let's say like we just stay in the same spot, we keep number three. I think if you're Rod Polinka, you have to think, okay, most of the top prospects are point guards. I already have a point guard. I have like the roster has a ton of guards on it. The roster maybe has other needs. And, and also at some level, it's like, what are, what am I going to do? With, you know, like, I am I going to sit here and wait for six years and hope that these guys all develop together in my, like, at some level, it's like, how many guards, how many, four, how many 19-year-olds do you need to draft and then hope all of them develop together? You know, it, th those situations are so rare. So when all of a sudden you go from potentially not having your 2017 and 2019 pick to then having both of them just by staying in the top three this year, I could see Palenka thinking, okay, 
literally there are only so many spots on a roster and I can only dedicate this many of them to people who are under the age of 21. So in that case, I now have the number or the top three from this year that I'm putting on the table. I now have uh, the 2019 first that I'm probably putting on the table because those were in a way they were kind of gone already and we just lucked back into them. And I'm going after like a superstar type player to the extent possible. Now, if we don't get that type of player, I still think he's going to be aggressive because I think he knows the deficiencies with this roster. He knows the redundancies and he knows the misplacement of value, whether that's, you know, in the how we view how the old regime viewed our players uh, value or how other teams are viewing them. If he recognizes that maybe somebody's overvalued and it's time to get rid of them now. I can see him getting aggressive in that sense with our current roster and then redrafting in the top three to better fit his vision, um, if that makes sense. So I do I do think that if we keep our top three this year, literally everyone, maybe I'll take Ingram off, but pretty much everybody else I think would be on the table. Yep, I agree. And I, you know that's been stated uh, in the media just, just this past week in terms of everybody's on the table. Like you said, I think there are tears to this, and Alan and I have talked about this before. If it's the number one pick and it's Fultz, you stand pat. If anything, you look at other guys yeah, on our exactly. team, whether that's D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, etc. Um, I think the most important thing is you want to keep some sort of core intact there for Paul George or whoever you trade for. It's likely going to be Paul George because Jimmy Butler's doing well. But if it's number two or number three, especially if it's number three, I'm not even thinking about Josh Jackson as much as I love that guy at this point just because... I feel like he's going to shop that pick so aggressively that it's going to be hard for Larry Bird to turn that down. Where if you have like a number three pick, you attach the number 28th pick to it, attach Jordan Clarkson, that should be definitely, that should definitely start the conversation, right? right? And at that point, if Paul George is telling Larry Bird, yeah, you better do it, man. That's as best as you can get. You know, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins was traded for much less than that. Yeah. And if you can get a number three pick, Jordan Clarkson, like a six man, and then another f- late first round pick for, for a guy who's going to walk anyways, that would be great for Larry Bird. And, you know, that could be, that could potentially do it. And so I feel like Rob Palinka will try everything in his power to try and get Paul George in now. I don't think we can trade a 2019 pick, right? Because the Stepien rule and because we lose it in 2018. So that would be two years off. So I don't oh, think we'd be able right, to, right, we yeah. wouldn't be able to put that on the table. But yeah, so if it's the number two, number three pick, for me, it's pretty much gone. And if we end up keeping it, then that just means that Rob Palinka or Larry Bird wanted too much. And Rob Palinka said, nah, we'll just wait, you know, which I'm also fine with, obviously. But I do think that he's going to aggressively shop that pick if it's not Markel Fultz. Alan, what about you? Throw that 2020 pick in there, then. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> yeah, just keep sure. this train going, dude. Um, I I agree with all that, honestly. Uh, if it's the number three pick, I think for sure it, that's in play. Um, like we said numerous times, number one, you keep that. Number two is where it gets interesting. You know, that's where you really have to make a choice. Do you do you keep Lonzo Ball or do you essentially trade Lonzo Ball? I, I'm still on the fence about that. I don't know. I like him, but then we have also said like. We're a little bit hesitant to see if his game is going to translate to that next level for various reasons. At the same time, you you will see him do something incredibly brilliant. And it's like, oh man, like it would be pretty sick to have that too. So uh, I think that's really the big question here. If we were to keep the pick, especially that number two is very intriguing. And I don't, I don't really know what I would do at this point, to be honest. I think my percentages go number one pick, 0%, number two pick, 50%, number three pick, 80%. I mean, this <laughs> nice, is nice. Yeah, yeah. 
Another thing I was thinking of was, um, for some reason, it feels like, at least in our lifetimes, the Indiana Pacers have always had some sort of, like, perimeter, like, either a wing or a shooting guard that that was, like, a big-time scorer and was, like, the face of the franchise. It was, like, Reggie Miller, obviously. And then there was, like, the Danny Granger era uh, when he was pretty good. And then they got Paul George. And I just think it's really interesting that given how good Miles Turner has been, and he's still, like, only 20 years old, if you can draft 19-year-old Josh Jackson, who is, like, very very similar in terms of what he's good at and bad at right right now that Paul George was when he first came into the league. I think that's something you seriously, seriously have to look at. Yeah, you're getting rid of Paul George on like your borderline fringe playoff team that is, you know, uh, is probably, it's not, it's not by any means a lock. You're going to even make the playoffs again next year um, in your, in your relatively weak conference you have to be thinking like, okay, maybe I do just cut my losses and roll the dice. I got a top three pick. Probably we're going to suck next year, so I'll have another lotto pick. And, you know, there you go. You have Miles Turner and like two top five picks to build around. So Yeah, no, that's a good point. And to address Indiana's situation this summer, they will have twenty four about $24 million in cap space to use, but... Keep in mind that that actually doesn't include Jeff Teague, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and he's their point guard right now. So they would have to find a replacement for him or actually re-sign him, and he would take a good chunk of that $24 million up. So the ways in which Larry Bird can actually improve the Pacers is very minimal. There's not a lot he can do to appease Paul George. He might try and get George Hill back. He might try and make a splash with trying to sign J.J. Redick. But outside of those, that's pretty much, you know, you sign J.J. Redick and who's your point guard, right? You have Monte Ellis, maybe. So it's going to be really tricky for Larry Bird. I'm assuming that's his first order of business, trying to improve the team. But the ways in which he can do that is, is there's not a lot he can do. So he's in a pinch. It'll Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers do keep their pick, just how much they can coerce Larry Bird into biting, essentially. So, And, and for me, you know, I guess my, my last question on this uh, topic is, if we are able to trade for Paul George and all it takes is number three, number 28, and Jordan Clarkson, maybe we throw in one more guy, what does Rob Palenka do from there? Do you think he tells Paul George, okay, we need to stand pat for now because we just lost some assets to get you. Right now we have a core of you, Brandon Ingram, and D'Angelo Russell, and that's great. But do you think from there he's going to try and move the other guys like Julius Randle, Larry Nance Jr., and Zubats for another guy who could help him out more? You know what I mean? In terms of when LeBron James went back to Cleveland, you know, Kyrie Irving was already there, but then he wanted one last move to be made to expedite that process. Obviously, Paul George is not LeBron James. There's no Kyrie Irving he's coming to, but I'm assuming he still wants a little bit more progress happening. You know, Randall's great. Larry Nance is great. Zubats is great. And D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram are good for starters. But do you think Rob Palenka will say, okay, Paul George, who do you think we should trade for? Whether it's another guy like... Not, I'm not saying Kevin Love per se, but like a Kevin Love tier type player, you know? Love Kevin Love, dude. <laughs> or even just like a, like Derek Favors, someone like that. Or Jonas Valanciunas from the Raptors or Andre Drummond. Do you think Rob Palinka would try and pull another move like that just to see if he can make this team as competitive as possible this upcoming season? Or does he tell Paul George, let's wait one more year, see what free agents we can get in 2018? Because if we trade the number three pick and Jordan Clarkson, and the number 28th pick, that's salary going out, and Paul George is only making $20 million or so. So we'd still have money to use in free agency, so I'm assuming Palinka's next order of business would be to sign someone like J.J. Redick or 
any of the other free agents, maybe Paul, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, et cetera, because we'd still have money, max max amount to, to bring in in free agency, even if we did trade for Paul George. So do you think it would just be in free agency that he tries to improve the team, or does he try and consolidate some of the other talent like Randall, Zubats, Larry Nance for one other additional piece? Tommy? I think he definitely tries to consolidate. I don't know if it's for one other piece, but I think it. You go if you get Paul George, you go from the non-Paul George offseason goal of let's just get incrementally better to let's legitimately try to win it, uh, uh, or sorry, legitimately try to make it to the playoffs, possibly even as like a top four seed. So at that point, you're talking about guys like, I think the favors thing you said is a really good example, because I don't think with our remaining assets, we have it quite enough to go land another superstar type player. And if you do, then what? You have a two superstars and like nothing else. And then you're the New Orleans Pelicans. So I don't know what he would do, but like that favors idea, I just keep coming back to that. I really like that idea. Something, somebody along those lines where it's like, their team might want a little more youth or they don't really need what a guy like favors does at that position because of like the lineups they like to play. It's just underutilized talent. So let's go for somebody cheaper or like a younger asset, somebody along those lines, I can see him consolidating um, some of our other players and hopefully still getting rid of Luol Deng somehow. So that, uh, (laughs) so that we have a little bit more space to work with too. And what about this scenario? So I, Every I th- scenario, I get rid of Lou Albank. <laughs> <laughs> sure. What about this one, though? So I threw out Derek Favors. Andre Drummond could be an option, too. But what about CJ McCollum, right? Because the Blazers have been trying to fit McCollum and Lillard together for quite some time. And they're not sure whether it, it's going to work to have two you know, hot shooters who can't defend and undersized guards, you know. But CJ McCollum on the Lakers... You know, next to D'Angelo Russell, that could be the perfect fit. So let's say we do trade for Paul George, and then somehow through free agency, we're able to sign J.J. Redick, right? So then now you're looking at D'Angelo Russell, J.J. Redick, Paul George, Mozgov as the starting center. Um, you still have Randall, you still have Zubats, you still have Nance. Um, if you can trade Randall and Larry Nance and Zubats or whatever for a guy like C.J. McCollum, although I guess in this scenario, because you have Redick, it doesn't make that much sense. But let's say we sign Ibaka or somehow Nerlens Noel, someone like that in free agency. And then we have the option of trading some of our guys for a CJ McCollum caliber type player. I think we would do that, right? It's just about, are those options available to the Lakers? Yeah, exactly. That was really going very, very far deep down the rabbit hole. Oh, we are going very, yeah, very far. (laughs) Alan, what about you? Any thoughts on what, what his next move would be once Paul George is here? I think once you get Paul George, you are definitely, I mean, you're sending a message to the entire organization that you're serious about winning now. You know, you. how many, like, wins would you say Paul George is worth on this team? So we ended up winning 26 games, correct? Mm-hmm. So Paul George is worth how many, like, seven, yep. eight, nine wins or something like that? So that does absolutely not put you in the playoffs. Um, I think you got to get another guy to at least get there. And if it does mean trading away some of the guys that we love, like Larry Nance and Zubots, and most of the times we love Julius... I just think you have to do it because it would be so inconsistent with the approach to not do something like that. Yeah. And I think the main point out of all this, outside of all the rabbit holing, is the fact that if we get Paul George, all bets are off. Say goodbye to all of your favorite players. You know, don't be too attached to them at that point, right? Because I think at the end of the day, I think the way that I look at it is as long as we have D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram flanking Paul George... 
then whatever happens to the rest of the guys, unfortunately, I'm okay with. Yeah, you know? it's an Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel yeah. type situation back in the uh, late 90s. And, you know, we love Larry Nance. We love Zubats. Yeah, it course. sucks. It would I love suck Eddie Jones, dude. I don't to know see what, those guys. Yeah, I loved Eddie Jones as much as I loved Kobe when I was like eight years old. So Yeah, but if we have to trade those guys to get an, another established veteran who may not even be an all-star, but is like a fringe star, you know, to help Paul George out, then that's totally fine by me. Because yeah. it'll not only expedite our playoff process, but it'll help D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram out with their progression as well. So, yeah, yeah let's let's leave that scenario there and move straight into free agency and what we can do. And we'll kind of do the same thing in terms of, okay, well, what happens if we don't get Paul George? What happens if we do get Paul George? Yeah, strategy-wise, let's go with the status quo in terms of we're not keeping our pick and we're not going to get Paul George because that's the most likely scenario. So in that, in this situation, Tommy, if we have lost our pick... What is Rob Palinka's strategy this summer? Because, you know, the last few summers, we have punted, punted, punted until Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss panicked and decided, we have all this cap space, we better make a move now, and so we're going to sign Mozgov and Dang. So that was clearly a mistake, and we do not want to repeat that mistake. Having that fresh in our minds, what do you think Rob Palinka's strategy is going to be this summer? And let's say he is able to free up, you know, $17 million. And before we get started, Tommy, why don't you lay out our salary cap situation for 2017 summer? And then also, I guess, if you want to talk about the ability to stretch Mozgov and Dang, which we haven't touched upon yet, but that is an option. We can either stretch Mozgov or Dang, or we can stretch both of them under the new CBA. So take it away. Uh, yeah, so we have cap space, obviously, this summer. We don't have that much, thanks to Mozgov and Dang, or as much as we... We still have a lot. Thanks to Mitch and Jim. I know, thanks to Mitch and Jim. We still have a lot, though. I mean, we have $24 million to play around with this summer. What, what is the max? The max is like 30 right? Or the first year, I guess, is like 27 Yeah, for like a seven to nine year. Yeah, so for like a more senior veteran, I guess. So... Maybe we're a little bit below that type of max player, but I don't know if we realistically have a shot at those types of guys anyway, so I'm not that concerned about that. I mean, okay, so to talk about the Mozgov and Dang stretch uh, situation that you just mentioned, one way we could create a little bit more cap space is by stretching Dang and Mozgov. Um, The stretch provision, I can't remember if we've ever talked about it uh, before on the show, but... It's like what we wanted to do with Steve Nash when he was not not playing and just taking up a crap ton of contract space and not doing anything. It, it basically what it does is you can take a player's contract and you waive them. But instead of just us paying Mozgov, you know, 15, 16, 16.7 million over the next three years, it stretches those three years over over like seven years if we were to do it this summer. And so the the net impact of that is you're paying much less per year. So in the short term, you're buying yourself cap space to go play around with. So you could stretch potentially Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov. And yeah, that commits you to like annual payments of, you know, 13 million or so over the course of the next five, six, seven years. That sucks, but it also is like basically you just release, if you think about it, you just released one of those two guys into, you know, for nothing. It's like you almost like amnestied one of those two. And then you're just working with like a 14-man roster. That's like one way to think about it, right? So you save money in the short term and that maybe gives you money to chase like a max guy and a more middle tier guy and then you could pitch them together or it gives you a little bit extra room to 
I guess we said no Paul George, but just to use that as a hypothetical, get Paul George and get another Max type guy. So the stretch is definitely um, definitely like an interesting option if we take it. Yeah, I think the stretch happens if we know another move is about to happen, right? Or if like another domino is about to fall. You don't just stretch people to stretch people at this point because right. it's actually the stretch provision is you take the remaining years on their contract, times it by two and add one more year. So for Mozgov and Dang, they have three more years left. So you can stretch it over three times two plus one. So that would be seven years if you stretch them this summer. So Mozgov obviously is making around 16 million. If you stretch him this summer, you're, you're dividing that salary by seven years, which comes out to about seven mil per year that you'll have on your books for the next seven years. But if you wait next summer, 2018, and decide to stretch it, then you're only stretching it by five years because he only has two years left. And so that's Two times two plus one, which is divided by five, and you'd only have six point five million on the books for just five years. So I think the smarter thing to do would just be to wait if you plan to stretch either of them till next summer, just so you can cut it down by two years. Cause you don't want seven years worth of like a ghost payment of seven million on your cap. You know what I mean? Regardless of whether or not you think you have your roster set at that point. But you know, like you said, we have twenty four million in cap space to use this summer. And that is with Tarek Black not being guaranteed. He has 6.7 million that we can either guarantee or non-guarantee him with. Um, That's not including that. And that's obviously not including Nick Young, who we assume will take his or not take his player option. But even if we only have 24 million, you know, we can find ways to make more room. One is using the stretch on one of the guys or also, you know, just attaching the number 28th pick to Corey Brewer, who's making 7.6 million, and all of a sudden we have money. Yeah, exactly. So the 24 million actually includes the number two pick salary, which is around 5 million or so. Yeah. So actually, if you take that out and we're saying we don't have the pick, then we have about 29 million and enough for a max. So uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think your point about also just stretching one of them is well taken. Like that's much more likely to the extent we stretch either of them, which I tend to agree with you also that it's probably not going to happen this year. But let's say everything seems to be shaking our way. If we just stretch Luol Deng in the short term, meaning like this summer, we're saving like $10 million in cap space, which is pretty significant for just stretching one guy. So that's something I, I could see them doing. I, I It's probably unlikely that we stretch both, but go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so with that being laid out, and I don't know if we clearly laid that out, but uh, <laughs> either way, the Lakers do have the ability to get max money this summer. I think they also need to take into account that Randall's rookie extension is coming up in 2018-19. Right. And he'll be a restricted free agent then. And his qualifying offer is around $5 million, but his cap hold in 2018-19 will be $12 million. So they have to keep, in, keep that in mind. And at that point, another team can put out an offer for Randall for as much as, I don't know, $20 million or pretty much the max, right, at that point? So right. yeah, the Lakers will have to keep that in mind. So let's just get into free agency. And given that Paul George is not going to be here, what strategy do you think the Lakers are going to take? And and I'll start quickly here by just saying, you know, initially I was like, the Lakers obviously need another ball handler to help D'Angelo Russell out. Jordan Clarkson is not that ball handler and not that guard mate that D'Angelo could use in terms of shooting and help helping relieve him. So we definitely do need another ball handler and playmaker out there with D'Angelo Russell, especially because he is a pretty good off-ball guy, as we saw towards the end of the season. So with that in mind, you know, when I was thinking about this earlier, I was like, okay, well, you know, guys like Drew Holiday and George Hill will be great fits. But given what we just went through with Mozgov and Dang, and Drew Holiday would obviously be one of the better, best signings we've had in the last couple of years, for me, 
I actually do not want Drew Holiday at all. I don't think he moves the needle. Unless Paul George is coming, that's the only scenario where I'm like, okay, I guess Drew Holiday makes sense. He needs a veteran guard with him. But for me, Drew Holiday will probably cost around 18 to 20 million for the next four years. And the best deal we've had in the last four years is probably Lou Williams at $7 million. But the reason why that was a good deal was because he was only $7 million for three years, you know? With Drew Holiday, we would have to commit almost $20 million for four years. And at that point, I don't think that's worth it to bring in a guy like that, regardless of whether or not he'll be helpful to the team and D'Angelo Russell. So, you know, the, the reasons why I, I don't advocate this is, one, you're losing cap space for 2018 because Drew Holiday will take up $20 million of that. And, and essentially what you want to do if you want to try and get Paul George in 2018 is you have to punt cap space and reserve that space for him and also reserve that space for another max guy you may want to pair with him, right? So you sign Drew Holiday this year and that cap, a lot of that cap space is gone. And then secondly, it kind of opens the door again for D'Angelo Russell to be undermined. And for me, I'm kind of sick of having to qualify and contextualize D'Angelo Russell's game to everybody. I just want him to play 35 minutes per game next season so we truly find out how good or how bad this guy is. You know what I mean? Because this season, it's like, oh, he's played 28 minutes, but, you know, there was that stretch where Lou Will was taking his time and Lou Will gave Luke Walton reason to to bench D'Angelo Russell when he wasn't playing well and he didn't allow D'Angelo Russell to play through his mistakes, yada, yada. So in my opinion... 27-year-old Drew Holiday is just going to become a rich man's version of Lou Will because he is legitimately good. And if he's out there and we're trying to win games all of a sudden, Luke Walton's going to have no choice but to play Drew Holiday. And if D'Angelo Russell is struggling, sometimes play Drew Holiday over D'Angelo Russell. And so I just don't want that undermining to happen again, especially if we don't have Paul George. So yeah, I guess that is my my rationale for not wanting a Drew Holiday type strategy this season in terms of let's get a fringe type guy who's legitimately good and who could help this team. I don't think Drew Holiday is that type of guy. Now, if we're getting Drew Holiday for $7 million, like the Lou Will deal, sure, then you can use him as an asset, right? But for me, it's just not worth it and it doesn't move the needle enough that I almost wish that Rob Palenka would just take the strategy of signing fringe role players. So... Alan, what about you? Yeah, I could definitely see that as well. Yeah, we, we've had too many situations where you've got a Lou Williams and you have a Nick Young on our team who are just good enough, like you said, to get us some wins. But really, what does that do for your franchise? You need something that's a significant game changer. And if that isn't available, then it may be smarter. And this is where we go back to being conservative versus aggressive. Uh, you don't want to be aggressive in vain. So you want to be intelligent about this. And... I think Rob Blink is the type of guy that has the foresight to understand that type of situation where on paper it may look like a plus, but he's also going to measure how much of a plus that is in the long run. So I, I agree with you with that. Then again, if it is at the right price, like you said, then yeah, sure you go for it because you could flip that for something later. But uh, at the cost of 18 to $20 million a year, I think that is uh, that's too much. Tommy, what about you? Yeah, I the one thing I always think about is Palinka and Magic are making this big show about we're building a culture, we'll, we're we're building a team identity, and we want people who fit our vision. And and to me, that means they're sort of trying to build like the San Antonio Spurs, like Golden State Warrior type. Not that those are the only two teams that do it, but those are the teams that do it the best, I think. But that type of environment where we're targeting a certain type of player and maybe this player objectively in a vacuum is better than, you know, our player or sorry, your player is better than our player. We chose our player because he fits the system and we're going to maximize him in the system. 
And so I don't think it's about signing guys like Drew Holiday, um, Luol Deng, you know, guys who like were former all-stars at some time, at some point in their career, played at a high level for a very long time. And they only know how to play an NBA game as a, you know, borderline all-star, like one of the two best players on your team playing 35 minutes a game. I'd rather have a guy who's 28 years old, who's played his entire career off the bench, you know, but is good enough that he is consistently getting those types of minutes, you know, plays defense, is been trained to be a role player, not somebody who's been trained to be a star that we're now trying to convert into a role player. Because I think we've seen time and time and time again, that doesn't really work that well, you know. How often in baseball does like a play besides John Smoltz, does like a washed up, washed up <laughs> pitcher become a closer just because they're getting older? You know what I mean? Or they can't go as long anymore? It's Eric like, Gagne did that. Okay, whatever. Eric Gagne <laughs> was a good starter though. He was also on steroids, so it's okay. That's true. <laughs> Throw yeah. that one out. But you get my point, right? It's like not about finding guys like Drew Holiday who are gonna like who like are used to playing forty minutes a game and being a really good player. It's about finding my, my the kind of types of guys I would target are like. Ian Clark, Justin Holiday. That's not just because they, those are Golden State Warriors. So we know they're good culture guys and we know they'll fit what we're trying to do here. They fill positions of need. I would literally target two guards this summer and I would trade Clarkson. I would keep Nwaba. I would keep Tyler Ennis if we have room for six guards, but I would target, or I guess that would still be, I don't, I can't count the guards at this point, but. I would. I, those are the types of guys I would. I would target. Ian Clark's shoots a high percentage from three. He's 26 years old. He was a four-year college player. He's been in the league for four years, and he's played significant playoff games. Like I said, he shoots really. He shoots pretty well from three, and he plays defense. And most importantly, he's trained to be a role player. Justin Holiday, same thing. He's been around the league for a few years now, and he's trained to be a role player. And he knows how to do the things that he does without needing the ball in his hands all the time. So those are the types of moves I would make. No, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, Ian Clark obviously has history and a relationship with Luke Walton because he was on the Golden State Warriors when Luke Walton was the interim head coach and assistant head coach and all that stuff. And, you know, Justin Holiday is 28. He's a pretty good, decent three-point shooter. Last year with Chicago, he shot 43%. This year with the Knicks, he shot about 36%. But what I like about Justin Holiday is... One, he's athletic. He's really long. He has like a seven foot wingspan as a six five guard, which is really great. A lot of length there. Um, but like you said, he fills a role. He knows his role. And at this point, you kind of want to fill the rest of our roster out with those types of guys. And if we're talking about, and I guess with regards to Ian Clark, this is a guy who you know has playoff experience too. He's playing right now. Right. He knows how to play in that Golden State Warrior system. And he's getting valuable experience playing meaningful basketball, winning basketball with guys, right? But in terms of like the ball handling types of guys that we want, I think I'm sure Tommy, you and you and Alan probably have Patty Mills on your list, right? Because yeah, definitely. Here's a guy who can shoot, knows how to play in the system. The San Antonio Spurs he can play as for, especially for his size, decent defense, pretty good um, defense. But, actually. but more so, he can actually dribble the ball, play make, and help D'Angelo Russell out as well if he wants to play off ball, right? And then another guy, and this is like my love affair with Jody Meeks, because I ever since he played for Mike D'Antoni and had that career year and had 15 points and shot 40% from three, I've always said like, man, that is the prototypical shooting guard that you want next to a D'Angelo Russell type guy, you know? And even though Jody Meeks is like going to turn 30 now, you know, he's been injured and banged up this year, but he averaged nine points on 41% shooting from three. 
And I'm hoping his defense hasn't dropped off that much. But I remember he when was he was a good a, defender when he was when he was a Laker, he was scra- very good. scrappy as heck. You yeah, know? yeah. So I'm hoping that that hasn't fallen off. And if you can sign him for, I'm, I'm assuming you can sign him for a relatively cheap contract around five to eight million dollars. You know, I would definitely welcome that next to D'Angelo Russell. And then from there, you know, there are other guys like Sean Livingston, but he's probably going to be re-signed by the the Golden State Warriors. Some other guys I look at, and these are some restricted free agents who I anticipate may be renounced because of their team salary cap situations, are Tim Hardaway Jr. He's been balling out for the Atlanta Hawks, obviously. He'd been he'd be an interesting athletic shooter. My other favorite, Ben McLemore. <laughs> He's probably going to be renounced. I love Ben McLemore. He might be renounced by the Kings, and that's another guy who like, can dunk the hell out of the ball and can just straight shoot too. You know, and Maybe Luke Walton can also turn him into a defender. Uh, Tony Snell. And outside of that, I would also look at other fringe guys in different positions. Even though we're kind of have a logjam at the power forward and center spots, I would love a stretch four, stretch five guy like Patrick Patterson, who is a prototypical stretch four, has shot 36% from three, 37% from three the last couple of years, is only 28. A guy like Kelly Olenek, he's a restricted free agent, but I actually think the Celtics might also renounce his rights. Who knows? Because they might have trades planned or whatever. So if Kelly Olenek is available, I would potentially try and float an offer to him. Um, so yeah, really, I'm just looking at fringe role player guys who can help the team develop. But keep in mind, because in this scenario, we don't have Paul George and we probably won't have our pick. You don't want to get too good as well you don't want to tank obviously you want to show progress but there's no incentive for the lakers especially if they don't keep their pick to sign 30 year old drew holiday 31 year old george hill to help the team i don't know win more than they should you know what i mean you You don't you don't want mediocre plus players on this team exactly it's about like you don't want players that won't move the needle but if you get young enough guys like ian clark even though he's 26 right now he could eventually, once our team is ready to contend, still be a 29-year-old role player off the bench that exactly. could easily fit that role. So Yeah, it's, it's it. the Rubik's Cube thing, man. I mean, you <laughs> can't solve a Rubik's Cube in like three switches, right? You have to keep doing it over and over or to use an even more or a common cliche. It, it is a puzzle. Right. You know, you have to find each piece that fits just perfectly. And at this point, we got to put our trust in Palinka and Magic that they understand that, that it's not about getting, you know, Carlos Boozer on your team because he played on the Olympics and he went to the playoffs right. several years, whatever. And, uh, you know, we're going to get Wesley Johnson because he was a lottery pick. And, you know, that's that's cool. Right. And Jordan Hill, he's one of those guys too. high motor. He has dreads. He must play like Jay Crowder and all those guys. So, yeah, we aren't looking for those types of players for sure. I was just going to add like. We're now entering an era that I think we're not used to, especially as Laker fans, but I think a lot of teams in the NBA, and maybe I'm putting too much faith into our front office, but I feel like we're entering this era of uh, this new type of vision, especially for a team like the Lakers, that it's not about, I need a top 20 player at every position, or I need a name player at, um, you know, at, at, it's at least some a few name players that people know about. I think it's more about let me get the guys, whether or not they're widely regarded, that I know are going to thrive in my system, and let me build a whole team of those types of guys because as long as I have D'Angelo Russell or somebody who can score a basket when we need one, you can build like an Oakland Athletics theoretically money ball type team that could win a lot of games in the NBA. And that is really going to start to establish your culture. And then you might get some bargain contracts out of it because the way you make trades is by signing guys to favorable favorable deals. 
and then having them thrive in your system. So yeah, it's like you guys, it, we, we keep saying here, but there's, there's many pieces that need to fit here and, and there's many ways to go about it. Yep. Agree. Okay. So we're kind of running out of time, but just in terms of quickly, if we do get Paul George and we want to make a quick fix, like we need to sign one more guy in free agency to help him out. What's your guys's pie in the sky sort of list. So for me, I think I would probably go number one, J.J. Redick at that point and try and go hard after him. And I'm excluding Gordon Hayward and Blake Griffin from this. I, I, obviously, you'd probably try and go for Blake Griffin. I just don't know how plausible that is, even with Paul George. So if Blake Griffin is out there, there are guys like J.J. Redick, Serge Ibaka, George Hill, obviously Drew Holiday um, out there, and then some restricted free agents like Nerlens Noel. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's only 24, Otto Porter. Those guys are likely to be matched by their teams anyways, but, you know, obviously if Paul George is here, then I would try and, you know, send out an offer to Nerlens Noel, send out an offer to KCP, just hope that the Detroit Pistons don't match. But I think for me, I would go number one, try and go for J.J. Redick, and then maybe Serge Ibaka, and then from there, maybe get Paul George's best friend, George Hill. I don't know if they're best friends, but I'm assuming they had a good relationship with the Pacers when they were going to the Western Con- Eastern Conference Finals. Tommy, I don't know if you have like a pie-in-the-sky list like that of who you would want to flank Paul George with in terms of top free agents, whether or not they're realistic or not. Yeah, I think my number one would definitely be Serge Ibaka, weirdly, because I know he has his flaws, but I think he sort of fits. Uh, he fills a huge need, which is... Uh, like a, somebody to be an interior defender, like rim shot alter at the rim. Um, but he can also hit threes like at a very, very efficient clip. And he's a team player who doesn't need his, the ball in his hands a lot. So Serge would be my number one. And then I would try to clear space and go after Redick too. I, I actually think we can get, theoretically, if this happened in this wild scenario, we could maybe get both because the Clippers are not going to be able to pay J.J. Redick very much. Um, after they re-sign Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, I are they going to? Ha- they're already going to be over the cap, and I know they have Redick's bird rights. But what are you trying to build like a one hundred fifty million dollar, you know, payroll team? So I think it's possible to pry Redick away from there. Yeah, Alan, what about you? I also really like Serge Ibaka, J.J. Redick. Another name I would throw out there, how do we feel about Taj Gibson? I mean, he'd be a great off-the-bench sort of guy that you could probably get for $7 million anyways. So off the bench, that sure, I'd be fine with that. And then from there, you know, like the scenario we put out before, then you try and consolidate that's the rest of the talent in terms of Randall, Nance, Zubats or whatever, and try and see if you can swing another trade for another position of need or another sort of veteran type player who could help us out now, you know, and start to build more of a foundation for D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram. Cause you know, Paul George will not want to be babysitting at that point. And you know, even at that point, even if we do have Dang and Mozgov on the team, that might actually give Paul George a bit more comfort just having veteran guys there. And, but that's, you know, probably going way too far down the rabbit hole again. But like we said, a lot of it at the end of the day is going to be contingent on one, Lottery D-Day, May 16th, whether or not we keep that pick. And two, whether that pick is in the number one or the number two or three range, right? And just how amenable Larry Bird is to finally letting go of this Paul George thing and saying, yeah, I can't do any better than the number three pick at this point. And you have to hope that Boston, based off of how poorly they've done in the playoffs, says we finally got to move our assets for somebody and we don't want to make our first move using these assets 
on a guy like Paul George who could walk in 2018, right? So you're just hoping Boston looks elsewhere, whether that's Jimmy Butler in Chicago or just maybe they're the ones who go get Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> I don't know. That'll be hilarious. But you just hope that Paul George is still just has his sights on the Lakers and the Lakers have full reign over negotiations and tells Larry Bird, hey man, this might be the best offer you get because the longer you wait, if you wait till the trade deadline in the 2017-18 season, it might get even worse than this and you're not going to have the number three pick available to you at that point. It'll be Randall and Clarkson. Take it or leave it, right? So yeah, contingent again, just upon keeping our pick. And we we hope that our tankathon spin is not what happens on May 16th. But with that said, that'll do it for our show. Once again, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. You can catch us also on iTunes as a podcast and on almightyballer.com. Obviously catch us on Dash Radio. When and where? I'm finally awake, you know, uh... I have some pretty long days ahead of me, but woke up at 3 a.m. to work out with Magic, and now I'm feeling just fine. By the way, this is Rob Palinka, a new general manager of the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers. And uh, you can find this amazing show on Dash Radio, Monday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Thank you guys very much. There we go. Wide awake Rob Palinka. His voice is very soothing. Wow. That was actually really good. That was like pretty. That was pretty impressive. Thank you. All right, with that said, Tommy, welcome back once again, Samurai you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, with that said, we will catch you guys later. Please rate and interview us on iTunes. The more you rate and interview us, that's how many times Rob Palenka will turn those cubes, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Alan, I'll catch you later. Cubes made of Rubik's. There you go. See you later. Tommy, catch you later, man. Later. All right, peace out. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.